You are listening to the Restoration LA podcast. For more, visit us at restorationla.org. Um, sweet. I don't want to take any more time. I am going to invite up Steve and Deborah Subworth. They um, hail from Chicago, Illinois. Stephen Debs um, lead an amazing church called Anthem Church that we are in partnership with, and we um, love their local church. We love them. Their 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 team is is an amazing team. If you um, if had a chance to meet anyone on their team, and I was telling him uh, today, was it this morning? Uh, so um, so two of their couples are also on on the NCMI um, team, and so one is uh, Matt and Sheetal and Aiden and Eloise. And so they, they also serve on the NCMI team. So I was like, man, we have to get Matt and Sheetal out there. I mean, these are two doctors. They're both doctors, um, like serious doctors who like are like doing crazy medicine in the city and all the stuff that they do. They have kids and they're pastors in a church and they just carry such gifting. And I was like, we need to have them out. I was like, oh, we need to have Aiden and Eloise out too. And I was like, yeah, but then our church is going to be thinking like all you do is bring Chicago people out, and I was like, I don't. But th- I mean, they just have such a gifted team, and uh, we are, are so thankful for their partnership. We are thankful for who they are. They're gifting um, personally, especially to Vanessa and I, but to us, we really believe that they are a gift to the church, and they carry um, a gifting that translates beyond the local church. And this is what translocal ministry is about to strengthen and encourage other local churches and um, they do carry that and they have been invited all over the world to to come and strengthen and encourage local churches and it's such a privilege for us to have them here in LA and so uh, we love you guys and we are so thankful that you're here. I would love Debs to say hi and then uh, we will turn it over to Steve. I think he's preaching today so thank you. I have a word I was going to share it later but I'll share it now. I'm going to be a submissive wife and listen to my husband. <laughs> uh, well, hi, I'm Debs and married to my man, uh, Steve. We have three kids, um, been in Chicago for 18 years. We planted there from South Africa. Um, and it's just a delight and a privilege to be here and just to be part of what God is doing um, at RLA. Um, last, the, the last time I stood up here, I actually said that I felt a bit intimidated with the sneakers that I was wearing, um, because everyone has such cool sneakers here, but a certain young man who's related to a certain family sitting in the front row joined our church earlier this year, and he has definitely helped me improve my sneaker game. So I can proudly, you know, if I'm doing this, you know why. <laughs> so guys, I was uh, praying for you this morning, and, um, the room that we're staying in at uh, Jody and Vanessa's house has a beautiful stone-cut fireplace. And I just felt God draw my attention to this fireplace, and I felt that he had a word for this church um, from there. And I noticed that every single stone in the fireplace was cut uniquely um, and placed there uniquely. And every stone had jagged angles, rough surfaces, There wasn't one smooth stone like you would see on a brick fireplace. You know, a brick fireplace, everything is put neatly. They're all symmetrical. They're in rows. They look exactly the same. But this fireplace looked different. There were little stones. There were big stones. There were sharp stones. There were textured stones. There were stones with holes in. 
And I felt him say that this is a beautiful picture of your church. And that each stone is unique, but it's put together, chosen by God in that unique way to fit together for the work that he's doing here. And then I felt him say that some of you here have not accepted your jagged and sharp edges. Uh, And that in order for you to actually feel you want to be part of what's happening here and you want to be accepted by others, uh, but you haven't accepted yourself yet for who you are. But God accepts you. God had already chosen you before you even came here to be part of this body. And those jagged edges fit. They fit uniquely and beautifully because he has placed you there and he's chosen where you fit. And so I wanted to encourage you with that this morning. And the scripture that I also wanted to share was from Ephesians. Um, And it ties in with this picture because it tells us about how God loves us. He loves us so deeply, um, and he wants you to know that. Not just know it with your head, but know it in your heart. And even though you're not finished and perfect and symmetrical, you're chosen and you're accepted and you're loved. And you are here for that reason. There is a finished work that God wants to present to East LA and the neighborhoods and nations beyond this church, and you guys are each a part of that. And I know that even some of you might be thinking, oh, they're talking about someone else. They're not talking about me. I am talking about you. Even in your unfinished place, even in your jagged edges, even in your sharp textured surface, you are fitted and uniquely chosen by God. And Ephesians says... It's Ephesians 3, verse 16. And this is my prayer for you. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to truly grasp, give me license there, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And so that is my prayer for you guys here this morning, that you would truly grasp how much you are loved, that there would this, this pressure to live up or to be a certain way or to look like someone else or to be finished or perfect would just be taken off of you this morning and that you would know his love, you would grasp how wide and deep it is, and that you would truly feel connected to this family, knowing that you have a purpose to play, no matter where you are at in him. Yeah, that's a good word. That word um, to grasp in the Greek actually talks about wrestling something someone down it's the word that was so just imagine kind of someone wrestling with with someone else and kind of really wrestling that person to the ground that's the intensity with which Paul once wanted the church to grasp the love of God and that's the intensity that Debs and I, and myself uh, uh, kind of one that I know that word she brought she wants to convey the intensity of grasping the love of God um 
I love that. Great word. Really, really great word. All right. Uh, we're going to be um, looking at uh, a passage out of Luke chapter 24. If you can turn um, in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24, that would be awesome. Just as you turn there, um, the word that I want to bring this morning is perhaps quite a simple word. Um, I was wrestling. I was trying to grasp kind of God's heart uh, for this morning's message. And I, I really did feel to bring this word um, I hope as we leave today that we would have a greater love and a greater passion for God's Word. And that's what I want to teach on today. I want to teach on simply how and why do we read the Bible? How and why do we read the Bible? And I hope that as you go today uh, from this place, this I trust God will do things in your heart this morning. But perhaps more importantly, I trust God will do things from this morning. That into the course of the week and into the course of the month and months to come, that there will be something that God will minister and do deeply in your hearts today that will have impacts in months and years to come. The first time God ever spoke to me personally and specifically and intimately from his scriptures was when he told me that I would marry my wife. Now, I know that's a, a dangerous thing to say, you know, to say God said I was going to marry my wife. And, and I want to just say, if you're dating someone today, don't rush off and say God said that we need to get married. That's a, that's a dangerous thing today. Just because you think God said or just because you say God said doesn't mean God said. Uh, but let me just back up a little. So just to kind of explain the story a little bit. I was actually interested initially in Debs' best friend, a woman by the name of Tracy. And, uh, <laughs> and <laughs> let me explain the story. Let me, let me unpack the story a little. But uh, so I, I, I am and uh, I was back in college and a more extreme introvert. And it took me a long time to kind of find the courage to to go to Tracy and to ask her out on a date. And the day that I decided to do that, I remember driving to her house and kind of driving up the, 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 the drive. And unbeknown to me, I found out later, Debs was actually visiting Tracy at the time. And, uh, and Tracy had just come off a, a bad breakup and she turns to Debs and she's like, she goes, okay, Steve's coming. You know, if, if he asks me out on a date, please, 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 I beg you, please, can you go with him? Because I don't want to hurt his feelings. And Debs, being the kind and gracious woman that she is, decided to, to, to play along and to say yes. So I say all that to say the first date that I ever went on with my wife of 28 years was actually a sympathy date. She, she went out with me because she was showing sympathy with me. But we quickly became friends. We quickly became best friends. Uh, but I always wanted to take the relationship a little further. And so I would ask her out again and again and again. And she would say no, even after filling her room with roses. And I mean filling her room with roses. I had a friend who was studying at university. He was studying horticulture. And he was doing a project on roses. And so I took the greenhouse full of roses and filled her room with it. And still that wasn't enough. And, and even after nursing her back from a vicious dog attack. And that's another story for another time. But even after that, she still said no. And even after her parents suggested 
to her that I was a real catch and and still she said no and and I was convinced I was a real catch too because you know not so much because of my sparkling personality or my dashing good looks but because I was convinced that God had spoken to me now I was I was newly saved I had recently given my heart to Jesus and so understanding how God speaks from his word was was very new to me, uh, but I remember the moments like it was yesterday. I, I remember sitting down with the scriptures, and I was reading the book of Proverbs, and, and I was praying about our relationship, and the months and months and months that had gone by where, where Debs wasn't showing any interest, and, and I was asking the Lord what to do, and honestly, uh, I, I, I can picture it like it was yesterday. There was this, this verse in Proverbs 16, and I'm not going to mention which one it was, but but the verse literally kind of shot out of the page and, and pierced my heart. And in that moment, I knew the Lord had given me a promise that one day Debs and I would get married. Fortunately, even though I was a young Christian, I was wise enough not to go and tell her the Lord said. Um, fortunately, I was wise enough to have friends around me who told me to hold this promise with an open hand. But I still continued to ask her week after week if she would go out with me. And her answer was no. Eventually, though, I think it was either because I had worn her down or she felt sorry for me. But she said yes. And we started kind of officially dating or whatever it's called these days. I'm not up to, to, to kind of terms with the current phrasing. But we started dating. And, and that relationship lasted seven days. Um, and on day seven... We eventually were kissing for the first time, uh, and I had never kissed a woman before. Debs is the only woman I've ever kissed, and, and we were kissing for the first time, and she pulled away in the middle of that kiss, and she said, I'm sorry, I can't do this, I need to break up with you, and she left. And I was absolutely staggered at what was happening because again I was convinced that the Lord had had spoken so clearly to me and what seemed to be happening was so contrary to the word of God I started uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no <laughs> my my response to Deb's breaking up with me um, my response to her kind of going contrary to what I felt the Lord was, had promised me was for me to become kind of very in, introspective. I, I grew my, my beard even longer than it is, and I grew my hair, and I, I started writing poetry and wearing oversized clothes, you know, those, those things that you, you tend to do. But there was something that a friend of mine told me in that moment, which has stuck with me today. And he said to me this, he said, Steve, if the Lord has given you a promise, it's his promise to fulfill. You just need to learn to wait. If the Lord has given you a promise. It's his promise to fulfill. You just need to learn to wait. And through that time, the Lord gave me strength to, to wait, to wait on him and to, and to wait on him fulfilling his promise. And, and months later, we, we started dating again. And soon after that, we got engaged. And here we are, 20, uh, nearly 28 years later. Uh, the Lord has fulfilled his promise of giving me the, the woman of my dreams. And, and God showed himself to be faithful to the promise of his word. What I want to talk to you today is 
the, the fact that God desires to speak to us out of his word. But we need to develop a, a, a pattern, a discipline, a habit, if I can use that word, of being in the scriptures so that we have this in us and that the, so that the Holy Spirit can bring this alive in our hearts and lives, enabling God to, to speak to us. God doesn't speak to me through the scriptures because I help to lead a church. God doesn't speak to me through the scriptures because I'm employed full-time by the church or because I've powered up somehow in my walk with God. God speaks to me through the scriptures because I'm a child of God, called by the Father, born again by the Holy Spirit, and in relationship with Jesus Christ who, who, who purchased my life with his on, uh, on, on the cross through his death and ultimate resurrection. And the same is true for you, friends. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you have surrendered your heart to him, God desires to speak to you through his word. And I hope what I share today is going to be helpful in, in, in equipping us to be able to ensure this becomes a lifestyle. So Luke 24 is where I want to uh, pick up from. And Luke 24 is the passage of scripture that describes this moment, the scene where two of Jesus's disciples, this is after Jesus's death, two of his disciples are walking the, the short road back from Jerusalem to a town called Emmaus, just outside of Jerusalem. And they are discussing the, the events of what has just taken place. There are rumors spreading, started by a, a, a few women uh, who had gone to the tomb and had found it empty. There are rumors spreading that Jesus is no longer in the tomb, that he in fact did what he said he would, and that was to be raised from the dead. But they're not convinced. They haven't seen him in the flesh. And they're beginning to discuss what is going on. And we're going to pick up the story in verse 15. And it says, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. And so they decide to tell this, un, this, this traveler, Jesus, this unknown traveler to them, why they're so discouraged. Verse 25, he said to them, how foolish, Jesus said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And look at verse 27. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. What a conversation that must have been to be a part of. Imagine if you were able to, to just kind of tag along and, and listen to Jesus explaining from the word of God about himself and all that had, had been promised. And so Jesus joins these travelers and, and he joins them on the road to Emmaus and he eventually joins them for dinner. Verse 30, when they were at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? The very short answer to the question that I'm asking today, how should we read the Bible? The very short answer is with Jesus. 
That's how we should read the scriptures, with Jesus sitting with us and with Jesus kind of opening our eyes and our hearts to the truth of who he, of who he is. And we're going to discuss that in a more detail later. And so these disciples now hurry back to Jerusalem to go and tell the rest of them what has just taken place. They've just encountered the resurrected Christ. And then in verse 36, while they were still talking about this, this is now back in Jerusalem, Jesus himself stood among them and he said to them, peace be with you. And then verse 44, and he said to them, this is what I told you would happen. While I was still with you, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me. Listen to this, in the law of Moses, in the prophets, and in the Psalms. Now, there's so much that we could kind of dive into this text about and pull apart and, and learn from. And, and I'm really not teaching out of Luke 24. I'm just using this to kind of provide some context to what I want to teach. But what I do want you to notice from this text is both Luke in telling the story and Jesus himself use three phrases or three terms to divide what we know to be the Old Testament. They divide them up into three sections, one called uh, Moses or the book of the law or the book of Moses, the first five books of the Bible, first five books of the Old Testament, the second section being the prophets, starting with Joshua and then Judges and then Samuel and Kings and going on to the major prophets and the minor prophets. You don't need to remember this, but I want you to remember the three main sections and lastly was a kind of a, a kind of a grab all of all the other books in the Bible. And that was often called the writings or the Psalms because the Psalms was the beginning of that section. So those three sections, the, 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 the Torah, what we know to be the Torah, Moses, the prophets starting with Joshua, and then the writings starting with the book of Psalms. And what we're going to see today, what I want to show you right now is Joshua the first book of the uh, the first book of the prophets and psalms the first book of the writings Joshua chapter 1 and psalm chapter 1 both tell us almost identically the same thing on how we should read the bible on the way that we should position our heart in order to get the most out of the word of god so turn with me if you can to Joshua chapter 1 Joshua chapter 1, remember, is the bridge from the first five books of the Bible to this next section in the book of the Bible. And it says this in Joshua chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Now with your finger in the book of Joshua, now turn to Psalm chapter 1. And we're going to see Psalm, Joshua chapter 1 was the bridge between the first two sections. The Psalm chapter 1 is the bridge between the second two sections of the Bible. And we're going to see something almost identical. Psalm 1 Verse 1 to 3, 
Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Do you notice the similarity between Joshua chapter 1 and Psalm chapter 1? It gives us an indication of, of the posture of our heart and the things that we need to do to read the word of God. We need to uh, uh, keep the law of God on our lips. We need to delight in it. We need to meditate on it day and night. We need to be careful to obey the law of God so that we can be prosperous and successful. So I want to leave you, I want to, I want to show you, I want to help unpack with you three ways, three kind of responses to the Word of God on how we should read God's Word. And the first one is this, we should delight in God's Word. We should delight in God's Word. Now, when I say that, you, you're probably thinking to yourself, but it's, it's fine to say that, but how do we do that? It's like, it's like when you were five or six and you're sitting at the dinner table and your mom slides across a plate of steamed broccoli and she says, you know, you need to delight, this is good for you, you need to enjoy this. And you think to yourself, that's fine mom, but it's still steamed broccoli. And perhaps to some of us, me saying delight in God's word, you're saying that's fine, but the word of God, if I'm honest, is a little bit like steamed broccoli. I know it's good for me, but how do I enjoy it? How does it become something that I crave? Not many people crave for steamed broccoli. I think, to be honest, the reason why we struggle to delight in God's word is because we don't have a palate or a hunger for God's word. I did a lot of business travel before um, the Lord called Debs and I into ministry, and I had the opportunity to travel around the world, and the, the place where we were living in South Africa at the time was kind of on the northeast coast of South Africa, maybe two hours south of the Mozambique border, and I'll say this, it wasn't exactly a culinary hotspot. Uh, uh, the food that we ate was, was pretty basic. And, and we, I had the opportunity to travel to, to other places in the world that opened me up to, to amazing foods that I'd never experienced. I remember being in New York City and, and eating sushi for the first time. I remember being in Mexico City and eating Mexican food for the very first time. And then I remember being in Venezuela and enjoying coffee for the first time. Now, now, we had coffee back in South Africa, but it was instant coffee. It actually wasn't proper coffee. It was mixed with hot water, and it, it kind of was a, it was, a, it was a poor substitute for the real thing. And I remember drinking Venezuelan coffee for the first time, and my life was altered. Uh, I, so much so that I found, I took home uh, a 20 to 25 vacuum-packed bags of Venezuelan coffee. I lined my suitcase with them like I was bringing contraband back into the country. And, and I was so excited for Debs to try this because it changed my life. I spoke about sushi. And I spoke about Mexican food in Mexico City. But I had nothing for her to experience. But coffee was altogether different. Instant coffee had ruined us. And so over a period of time, we slowly worked our way through these 25 bags of coffee. And by the end of it, our palate 
was completely changed. We had a hunger and a desire to drink the real thing. And I want to say, friends, it's the same with the Word of God. I can stand here this morning and say we need to delight in God's Word, but our palates sometimes aren't ready for it. And so, friends, I want to be honest. There needs to be this slow, intentional discipline of incorporating the Word of God into our lives. And ultimately, our palates will hunger and crave God's Word. I'm not here to rail on social media. I'm not here to talk about the, the awful things that we can download at an instant on YouTube or on, on Netflix. I, have, I go onto YouTube. I watch Netflix. I'm sometimes on social media. However, studies are absolutely conclusive. The day and age in which we live has changed our ability to read. Because things for us are so instant and available, it's hard for the current culture in which we live to sit down and to read God's word. But I want to say, friends, as we slowly, intentionally discipline ourselves, even if it's just a few verses a day, to get this into us, our palate begins to change. And we begin to delight in God's word. How should we read the Bible? Firstly, we need to delight on God's word. Secondly, we need to meditate on God's word. We need to meditate on God's word. And I I don't want you to get nervous about that word meditation. There's There's a vast difference between Eastern meditation, which talks about emptying ourselves and and kind of looking within, like all the answers you need for life are within. That's not biblical meditation. Biblical meditation is 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 looking outward. It's looking outward to God and filling our minds and filling our hearts with things from God and things about God. And that's what biblical meditation is all about. The the word meditate in the the Hebrew can sometimes be translated to, to speak or to utter. Psalm 35 says this, my tongue will proclaim or sometimes translated, my tongue will meditate on your righteousness and your praises all day long. Let me give you an example. Perhaps in the morning you've read Romans chapter 8 verse 28, that God promises to work all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And you go to work that day and you are facing a really difficult situation where your boss is being really hard on you and your colleagues are kind of against you. And because you've read Romans chapter 8, verse 28, as you go about your day, you are able to utter, to speak, to meditate. God, you said in your word, you will work all things for good for those who are called by you and are called according to your purposes. Friends, that's not positive thinking. That's filling your heart and filling your mind with the truth of God's word. Meditate can also sometimes be translated to roar or to growl. We went uh, a few years ago, we were back in South Africa and we went on a safari and we were kind of following this pack of wild dogs throughout the day. And eventually this pack of wild dogs caught this, this antelope, it was a, it was a, it was a buck. And as a pack, they began to dismantle it. And we sat there for hours mesmerized. I mean, it sounds kind of brutal, but mesmerized as they kind of ripped this, this animal to, to, to pieces. And in the background, we could hear this constant growl, this constant kind of roaring as they began to gnaw on and digest this animal. That's what the psalmist is actually saying when it comes to the word of God. Think about your dog. 
if you, if you have one, and you give the dog a bone, and, and then you go and take it away, what do they do? They, they growl at you because they want to get everything they can out of that bone. That's what the word meditate means. So you go about your day, and you're, you're meditating on Romans 8.28. Lord, help me understand what all things mean. Lord, help me understand what it means to be called according to your purpose. Lord, do all things really mean all things? This is what's going on in your head. And then when the devil comes, because he will, and you're facing that difficult situation, and you will, and he says, did God really say all things mean all things? And because you've been meditating on God's word, you can say, God's word says all things mean all things. How do we delight in God's word? We, we are called to meditate on God's word. Eugene Peterson writes this in his book, Eat This, Eat this Book. It's a book on the word of God. He says, Christians feed on scripture. Holy scripture nourishes the holy community as food nourishes the body. Christians don't just simply learn or study to use scripture. We assimilate it. We take it into our lives in such a way that it gets metabolized or outworked into acts of love. The book of Revelation, um, it's a challenging book. It really is. But, but, but there's this scene that is outplayed in Revelation chapter 10 where an angel of the Lord comes to John who is having these kind of prophetic revelations and he gives John one of the scrolls which most commentators agree is the word of God. And this angel says to, he says to John, he says, take it and eat it in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey, but it will turn your stomach sour. Now, how many times have we experienced that when it comes to reading the word? How many times do we read the word and we go, oh, Lord, yes, that tastes good. That tastes as sweet as honey. But then there are those times when we read God's word and we say, wow, what does that mean? That's pretty hard. Or, or, or Lord, I, I realize how different my life is compared to the instruction from your word that's why eugene peterson goes on to say eat this book but also have a well-stocked cupboard of alka-seltzer and pepto-bismol at hand and i love that because sometimes the word of god does give us indigestion how should we read the bible we need to delight in it we need to meditate on it. And thirdly, we need to obey what it says. Joshua chapter 1 says, Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Be careful to do everything written in it. And I want to say, friends, it's not enough just to read the word or just to study the word or to know the word. It's not even enough to delight on the word and to meditate on God's word. At some point, we have to do what the word of God says. Obedience is, is living in active response to the living God. I, I would put it to you that obeying God's word will get this word into us and give us understanding of God's word better than a Bible study and better than reading commentaries. It's when we live out God's word and obey God's word that God begins to open up the meaning of his scriptures to us. Why? Because this is not just a theology book. This is a book for living out what it means to follow Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And friends, sometimes God's word 
calls us to do things that doesn't make sense. And I'm sure you can testify to that. Sometimes we face a a situation or a circumstance and, and God's word says we should do something that seems so contrary to his word. And it's then that we have to acknowledge that Jesus's word is the greater truth by which we live, not just the things that we see in front of us. That's what happened in John chapter 2 when Jesus and his disciples and Jesus' mother went to a wedding in Cana. And you I'm probably are familiar with the story. The, 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 the wedding was falling to pieces because they had run out of wine. And Jesus' uh, Jesus's mother calls the servants over and she says this to him, do whatever he tells you to, to which I add in, the bracket, in brackets in my Bible, even if it doesn't make sense. Because what, the, what Mary asked the, asked the servants to do, what Jesus told the, the servants to do, didn't make sense. He tells them, he says, go across to those ceremonial washing jars and fill them with water and then take a goblet and scoop out a goblet full of that water and take it to the master of the ceremonies. And they were like, what? I mean, the, the wedding is falling to pieces, Jesus. The bridegroom is, is, is embarrassed. The master of the ceremonies is furious. There's no wine to drink. They had a choice. Do they do what is pragmatic, meaning do they do what makes sense, or do they do what Jesus told them to? And, and I would put it to you, doing what makes sense isn't necessarily obedience. It's just simply following the facts. And following the facts doesn't release the supernatural God's, God's miraculous intervention in our lives. It's when we do what Jesus tells us to do that that supernatural breakthrough begins to uh, appear in our lives. And so that's what the servants do. They scoop out a goblet of water and they take it to the master of the ceremonies and it turns out to be the best wine of all. A little time later, the disciples are on a boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee and there's a great storm. And Jesus walks out on them. It walks out on the, on, on the, on the water. In, uh, it's in uh, Matthew chapter 14. And the disciples are terrified. And, and Jesus says to them, he says, take courage. It is I. It's me, he says. And, and, and Peter responds. He says, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come. Now, don't read that in the way that we potentially are tempted to read it. Peter being cynical kind of his arms folded. Well, Lord, if it is you, show yourself to be faithful. If it is you, tell me to come. That's not his heart. His heart is eager. His heart is expectant. He was at the wedding in Cana when Jesus turned water into wine and did what was unexpected. And his heart was was anticipating something unexpected. He said, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come. And at the word of the Lord come. Peter got out of the boat in the middle of a storm and began to walk on, on, on water. Did it make sense for Peter to climb out of the boat? No, but he followed the word of the Lord. We know what happened as Peter started walking on the water, he started to kind of come to his senses, as it were, and realize what was going on and saw the wind and the waves and he began to sink. And, and, and Jesus turns to him and he says this. It, immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him and he said, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I, I don't think Jesus was judging Peter. 
He wasn't saying, oh, Peter, you of little faith. He was like, oh, Peter, little faith. Why did you doubt? I sense that was the tone of Jesus. I don't think Peter forgot that moment. Because I would imagine Jesus pulled Peter out of the waves. Jesus didn't jump in the water and kind of like, you know, um, uh, uh, like a lifeguard at a, at a pool, kind of put his arm around and then kind of like paddle back to the boat. I don't think that's what Jesus did. I think Jesus picked Peter up on the waves and together they walked back shoulder to shoulder as brothers in the Lord. Peter never forgot the moment as what happened when the servants said yes to Jesus, even if it didn't make sense. And he got to see Jesus in a profound and mysterious way, as one who, who does impossible things and as one who is gracious and merciful, even when we mess up. Friends, we are called to obey God's word. Obedience is putting flesh and blood on the word of God, even if it doesn't make sense. As we read the scriptures, it's asking, Lord, what do you want me to think about this? What do you want me to do about this? What do you want me to believe about your word, even if it doesn't make sense? As we read the Bible, we ask questions like, Lord, what do you want me to start? Or what do you want me to stop? Or what do you want me to repent of? Or what do you want me to live out or celebrate or worship or thank you for, even if it doesn't make sense? I want to end this morning in the next five minutes by just giving us a very practical framework of how we can read the Bible. I've spoken about reasons we should read the Bible. We should delight in God's word. We should meditate on God's word. We should obey God's word. But what does it look like practically? How can you and I practically read God's word? And the framework that I want to give you involves five phases, not steps. It's not complete step one, and then we step into step two. It's, it's, a, it's a transition from step one to step two, sometimes skipping over to step four or five. It's, it's a rhythm of reading God's word, a rhythm that in fact has been used for hundreds of years by followers of Jesus across the nations. And so here are the five things that I want to just leave with you. Firstly, silence. As we read God's word, go somewhere quiet. Go somewhere where you won't be disturbed. Can I suggest go with a, 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 a physical, like a, a paper Bible rather than on your iPhone or on your iPad? Because people, someone will text you or an email will come through. And I know it because I do it myself. Very quickly, the email or the text becomes more important than reading God's word. Find a place where you can be silent and quiet before the Lord. Secondly, read. Begin to read God's word. Not, not, not hurriedly, because hurry is the enemy of us finding a rest in the Lord's presence. Sometimes it's helpful to, and I do this, I read the word of God out aloud. Quietly, you know, I just read it out so I can begin to hear the word of the Lord. It would be helpful to follow some sort of a Bible reading plan. And there are thousands out, out there. Jody and the eldership team can, can help you with that. Some sort of a plan where you're able to get through the word of God in a year or two years or so. But you're following some sort of consistent plan. And as you, as you read the word, look out for scriptures that jump off the page. 
and pause. Don't worry about getting through your plan. The point is to not get through the Bible. The point is to get the Bible through you. Read the word. Read that verse over and over again. That's as you begin to, thirdly, meditate on the word. You're asking questions like, what is God saying? And what is God teaching me? And perhaps most importantly, what is God teaching me about Jesus? I think that's the most important question we can ask as we read the word. I recently officiated at a wedding of a very good friend of mine at Anthem Church back in Chicago. And uh, I was quite excited because my photograph very quickly appeared on the wall of their new house in the hallway. A photograph of me with this couple. The, the woman was dressed in white and the guy was in a tuxedo kind of photobombing me. It was really weird. That's not what happened really, is it? That photograph was not about me. The photograph was about the bride and her groom. And I just happened to be in the background. Friends, that's what the word of God is about. The word of God's not about me. The word of God is about the bridegroom and his beloved. And we just happen to be part of that story. So the question we should be asking about the word is not so much, Lord, what are you saying to me? But what are you saying to me about Jesus. And then we learn about ourselves. Silence, read, meditate. Fourthly, pray. Engage with God through his word. Begin to pray the scriptures back to God. Begin to engage and ask God questions. Confess that the struggles in your heart as the word has revealed. Begin to spend time with him. And then lastly, take his word with you. Find a, a verse, find a phrase that has jumped out at you and take it through the rest of the day with you. Begin to be like that dog and his bone, beginning to meditate and to, and to, and to kind of think about it. I, I, I've, I've spent the last kind of 25 or 30 minutes speaking about how we should read the Bible. I want to end off real quick with why we should read the Bible. Joshua chapter 1 and Psalm chapter 1 give us exactly the same reason. Joshua chapter 1 says, if the, law, if the word does not depart from your lips and you meditate day and night on the word and do what it says, then you will be prosperous and successful. And then Psalm chapter 1 says, that person, speaking of the, the person who meditates on God's word, will be like a tree planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Why should we read the Bible? Because God promises that we will prosper and be successful. Now, you're probably thinking, okay, that makes me a little nervous. The word prosper the word successful, the understanding of that needs to look exactly the same here in East LA as it does in downtown Chicago and also the slums of Rio and the township in, in South Africa. Because it's not really about what we have. It's about who we become like. Prosperity and success looks like Jesus. Prosperity and success looks like a, a life well lived in the face of challenge. Prosperity and success looks like living a life of releasing the shalom, the peace of God, wherever you go. 
Prosperity and success looks like having a relationship with the Father, just like Jesus does. How should I read the Bible? Delight, meditate, obey. And why should I read the Bible? Because in doing so, God promises that we would prosper. About eight years ago, I had the incredible privilege of spending two days with a fairly well-known Christian author by the name of Dr. R.T. Kendall. He's written a number of books, and him and I had become friends through a, a mutual friend that we had, and he invited me and another friend of mine to go and spend two days with him, essentially sitting in his study and unpacking the Word of God. He asked me, he asked us to ask him anything that we wanted, and that his commitment was to dive into the Word together with us and to begin to discover what the Word of God said. And we spent two eight-hour days in God's Word. And at the end of the second day, he asked us to close our Bibles and to put our journals down, and we were just going to wait on God and begin to pray. And the presence of God that filled that study the river of God that flowed through that study was so palpable, so powerful. It was probably the, the single most meaningful experience with the Holy Spirit that I've ever encountered because we had spent two days studying his word. But I want to tell you, friends, that the river that Psalm 1 promises is not only found in R.T. Kendall's study. The river of God that is promised in Psalm chapter 1 doesn't only flow through the church that hosted the conference that you went to when your life was changed. The river of God that flows, that is promised in Psalm 1 doesn't only flow through the life of the friend that you know who always seems so at peace with God. It is promised to each and every one of us as followers of Jesus if we spend time meditating on his word, desiring and longing for God's word, and obeying what God's word says. I wonder if we could close our eyes for a moment. Holy Spirit, we, we don't have to welcome you here. Because we know that you are here already. We thank you for the peace and life that you bring. We thank you that the river of life that flows from the throne room of God is flowing in this place right now. And I pray, Lord God, that you would open the eyes of our hearts so that we can not only see it, but that we would be able to jump in and experience your life right now in this place. In a moment, I want to just quickly take us through Psalm 1 as a ministry response to the word. Just as you keep your eyes closed and just respond to the Lord, I, I do just want to, before we go any further, ask if there's anyone here today who has never surrendered their hearts to Jesus, we'll only be able to delight in God's word and, and, and live in the experience of the peace of God if we have surrendered our hearts to Jesus. 
and receive the free gift that, that, that is, is Jesus himself. We're not saying yes to a religion. We're not saying yes to, to, to doing certain things. We're saying yes to a relationship with the living God through faith in what Jesus has done. And so if you're here today, maybe if you've never received Jesus into your heart, I'd love to pray for you and pray with you right now. Maybe you can just slip up your hand real quick. I'd love to lead you in a prayer where you surrender your heart to Jesus. Say, Jesus, would you come and be my Lord and Savior? Thank you that you paid the price. I receive you. And I give you my life in return. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Psalm chapter 1 says this. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked. Or stand in the way that sinners take. Or sit in the company of mockers. Perhaps you know that... In some way, shape, or form, you know you've been standing with sin, or maybe walking with sin, or maybe even sitting, embracing sin. It's not for me to judge, it's not for me to call you out, but it's for me simply to give you an opportunity right now to respond to Jesus, to say, Lord, would you forgive me? Forgive me for the, the small little compromises that I've made. Maybe just take a moment to, to do that. Psalm 1 carries on. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his Lord day and night. Maybe you can just pray with me and say, Lord, please grow my desire for your word help me to delight in your word help me to 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 not read your word out of a sense of obligation or because i feel guilty if i don't but lord would you stir within me a hunger for your word help me lord to to meditate and to to dig deep into your word and Lord, give me the courage to obey. Give me the courage to, to do what your word says. And then Psalm 1 says, that person, the person who delights and meditates and obeys God word, God's word, is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Father, as we sink roots into your word, I pray over every person here that the life of God would flow through us. Holy Spirit, even now, I ask for a release of your peace, your shalom, your rest, the favor and prosperity of Jesus upon us those 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 contentious situations at work those contentious relationships at home 
those financial impossibilities. Jesus, may you release your peace as we sink our lives into your word. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Such a good word. How many of you are encouraged this morning? Yeah. To want more of Jesus is to want more of his word. In, in John 1, in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed, he existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created. And his life brought light to everyone. The light that shines in darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. This is Jesus. He is the embodiment of the word. And if we want more of him, it's, uh, it's made available these holy pages that have been scripted by men through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit feeds our soul. <laughs> so if you want more Jesus, eat this book. <laughs> so good. So good. Hey, would you mind standing with me? Steve gave an invitation uh, to anyone. If, if you've dedicated your life to the Lord today and maybe we, we didn't acknowledge it or didn't see it, we would love for you to come and let us know because we would love to be in partnership with you as you continue to walk with the Lord and as you continue to um, engage in, in the kingdom lifestyle of developing your relationship first with the king uh, and with his people, which is the church and then eventually the world around you. We'd love to be a part of that in any way that you would allow us to be. So uh, please come and let us know if you've done that. Other than that, we pray that you guys have a great week. Uh, we look forward to seeing you. Men, um, I would love for you to uh, let us know if you're coming out bowling on, on Tuesday at 7 p.m. We just want to make sure that we have enough reservation and lanes um, uh, ready. Uh, if finances is an issue, um, please please don't worry about that. We want you to come out and, and, and enjoy the day. It's going to be, or enjoy the evening. It's going to be great. So, um, yeah, please contact me or, or, or Steve because Steve's in the building and I can see his face. So let us know that you're coming. Just we want to make sure that uh, we have enough space and everything's going to be great. So um, other than that, we love you guys. Uh, parents, don't forget next week's meeting right after service for Rise Up Youth Camp. And uh, we love you. See you soon.